The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Encouraged thus far and your hearts are uh, warm and ready to receive uh, the blessed word of God. Uh, listen to it again from Psalm 81. We've used this text already in this series. And again, this text serves uh, a purpose not to go verse by verse through it, but to remind us of a truth contained in it. That's why uh, Stephen read the Daniel passage and the Matthew passage. They will come uh, to light within uh, the sermon. Hear, O my, peop my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would subdue their enemies, turn my hand against their foes. Those that hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Kids can go to children's church. They've probably already done that. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord my strength, and my redeemer. The title of uh, the sermon this morning uh, is important. And it's important for a couple of reasons. Moral leadership as mission. Uh, the first is that to my recollection, at least, I have uh, never um, in my almost now 40 years of public ministry preached specifically on the issue of moral leadership moral leadership it may have been referenced uh, in sermons but never uh, a specific sermon that is unfortunately a confession of the sin of omission um, i don't think i neglected my duties intentionally but like most sins of omission we commit them because we're not thinking about them as we should but i have been thinking about moral leadership a lot lately and so to now avoid the sin of commission, you get a sermon. Uh, 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 Todd, is Todd in here somewhere? Can we put like laugh on a big thing and when I tell a joke, it kind of goes up there? <laughs> don't do it because it's just, it's just giving in and I don't want to give in. I'm going to keep working the crowd. I don't want to give in. But there's another uh, much maybe more important uh, reason um, that the sermon title, Moral Leadership as a Mission, is important. Uh, because it gets at what is meant when I say we need to preach the cross to its fullest dimensions. That we need to preach the cross to its fullest dimensions. So what is the connection then between this sermon and our theme of continuous spiritual renewal? Well, many of you, like myself, were raised in uh, what we could call the fervor of 1970s evangelism. 
you did door-to-door passing out tracks. Uh, we used to, uh, they used to load us, you, you, I know this will be hard to believe, they used to load about 50 teenagers after church on a Sunday morning on a school bus or church bus, drive it uh, over an hour to O'Hare Airport, open the doors to what was then, I think, the busiest airport in the United States, load us up with gospel tracks and say, go and give gospel tracks to all these travelers. That, that was the 70s. It was wild. It was wild. And we would. We'd go in there, and uh, we all had kind of a strategy. And my strategy uh, included taking all of the heretical false information of the cults and whatever, and I'd take it off all the counters, and I'd throw it in the garbage. And uh, then I would take and replace it with my tracks, because I didn't want to talk to anybody personally. And then I'd go to the international terminal and just sit and look at all of the people from all of these strange places it was wonderful. That was the fervor of 1970s evangelism <laughs> for me. Um, but we all know what it was like. You could go knock on a door. Nobody would yell at you. Nobody would close the door. People, what do you want? We invite you to church, and they'd come. Even in the 1980s, uh, we were visiting probably 50 to 100. We'd knock on 50 to 100 doors every week and invite people to church, and people would come. And that's what we did. That was the 70s, right? That was fervent evangelism, and it wasn't a bad thing. We need to still blow the trumpet for the life-giving truth of Jesus. We need to tell men and women and boys and girls that they can come to salvation in Jesus Christ. But in most cases, the cross of Christ was reduced only to its saving work and not its fuller victory. You were looking to get somebody to pray a prayer, make a decision, and then hopefully come to church and maybe then they would get uh, disciples. Moral leadership is the other mission of the church because the church is to not only publish the good news of God's salvation through Jesus, but tell the world that heaven and earth are being joined together by Jesus as he rules and reigns through the church. That Jesus has established the church to bring his rule and reign to earth and to bring heaven and earth together through the body of Christ, the church. This means that justice, mercy, righteousness are to pour forth from our lives because we are the body of Christ prepared for moral leadership. If a church is experiencing continuous spiritual renewal, then it will be doing both personal evangelism as well as being a voice for righteousness within the community it exists within. Personal evangelism? Absolutely. Sharing Christ? Yes. Taking a stand for righteousness? Being a voice for justice within its community? That's the other mission of the church. In the first section of the sermon, I want to show you uh, the biblical basis for moral leadership. And then uh, in the second section, I want to help us see that there's something we can do about it. Uh, where I land on that may be a surprise. Uh, and then finally, in the third section, um, I want to reflect on the work of Jesus who is still speaking uh, to the church about the church's work of moral leadership. So uh, up on the screen, we'll put the question up there. What is the biblical basis for moral leadership in the church? 
Well, I think the answer can be found as we listen to God's prophets raise their collective voices and cry out against the sins of the people. If you read through your Old Testament, and many of you do this every year, uh, you start out and you get introduced to the priest, and then you get introduced to the kings, and then that final section of the Old Testament, the primary focus is on what? It's on the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes his lamentations. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. I'm going to run out of steam soon. I may need somebody to help me. Uh, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Malachi. <laughs> there, I finally got you. Uh, Malachi. Malachi, right? And, this is, and then, and then the, as the Old Testament moves then into the New Testament, one of the first people you're introduced to is who? John the Baptist. And what is John? He is God's prophet. We might be hard-pressed to make an argument for moral leadership if God had not empowered and sent a prophetic voice into the midst of the battle. But he did. He did. And I want us to look at just one example. You can go in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 3, verses 7 to 14. Um, we're going to put it up on the screen as well. Um, but I want you to see the example that is set for us, just one example, by uh, John the Baptist. Uh, he, that is John the Baptist, said, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Hey, that's a great way to start a sermon, right? I mean, that just goes right. You get, hey, listen, we want to, and you bring these people in, and what do you, first thing you say to them, you brood of vipers, why did you show up here? Why, what are you doing here? Who told you to come? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Hey, no one should be sitting in this room thinking themselves a moral paragon that somehow God is lucky to have you on his team. That's what the Jews were thinking. And John dispels this notion when he says, hey, I, I want to let you in on something. God could raise up children for himself out of the stones that are all around us on this riverbank. He don't need you to get done what he's doing. And then John goes on, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, then the crowd responds, well, what are we supposed to do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share him with who has none. And whoever has food, do likewise. Think about that. Think about the excessive materialism that exists in the church. You got 20 coats at home, 10 coats at home, 5 coats at home, 3 coats at home. You might start thinking about giving a coat away. I'll, uh, I'll rework a quote Brian Herrick gave me in a meeting we were in last week. Um, you're not going to get to heaven and present all your coats to God and go like, here's what I got, God, I kept all these coats. John is doing moral leadership. He's not doing personal evangelism here. You got two tunics, share with him who has none. You've got plenty of food, do likewise. I, I think the tax collectors show up. That's great, isn't it? Well, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> and what does John say? 
Don't collect any more than you're authorized to collect. And, and then I kind of love the next one because I imagine that all these people are gathered around and whenever a large crowd gathered, Rome would send soldiers uh, because they were afraid a riot might break out. And so then here are these soldiers kind of listening in and they chime in and go like, well, what are we supposed to do? And John just doubles down. He doesn't pull back. He, he doesn't, you know, get reticent here. He says, I'll tell you what to do. Don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. Oh, and be content with your wages. <laughs> in a day of uh, income equality, in a day of people wanting uh, money to not work, in a, in a day of uh, argument over what is a fair wage, a minimum wage, John says to the soldiers, hey, don't, don't complain about your wages. Don't complain about your wages. John is not doing personal evangelism. He's doing moral leadership. And this is just one small example of what the scripture is full of in the prophetic word when God sends forth his prophets to speak against the sins of his people. Like the prophets before, John is descending into the particular sins of the people. He's calling them to repentance. So well, why is he doing that? He's doing that because judgment is coming. Flee from the wrath to come. And as you flee, bring forth fruit, keeping with repentance. But then John wants them to know, not only is judgment coming, but the judge is coming. The judge is coming. And that judge has an agenda. John says that the judge will baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor he will gather the weed into his barn. He will burn the chaff with an unquenchable fire. And who is that person John is pointing to? It is Jesus Christ, the great prophet of God who comes to speak truth to power. And so when you think about a biblical basis for moral leadership, we have the prophetic word, we have the prophets who are speaking on God's behalf against the sins of the people. We have Jesus Christ himself who then comes. He continues those same prophetic themes of the Old Testament prophets as well as John as he takes up the fight against injustice, as he takes up the fight against unrighteousness. If we as a church are going to preach the cross to its fullest dimensions, we have to talk about the role of Jesus as a prophet who takes a stand against the powerful systems of his day and of the world in general, so that he points out the abuses against the weak. He points out the way that systems are destroying the lives of people, how systems take advantage of the helpless. The basis for moral leadership rooted in Jesus. And if we are going to exercise that kind of leadership for our parish community, we must root that work in him and in us as well. For if we have been transformed by the good news of God's salvation, we must begin to take up the other mission of the church and in the name of Jesus do what the prophet Micah said, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. So here's the next question. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Well, what can we do? What can we do? 
And again, um, you might be surprised where uh, I land and for a starting point on this. So admittedly, um, this work of moral leadership seems overwhelming because it puts the church in direct conflict with the amoral and immoral age in which we live. Now there there's, a, there's, a big, there's a big battle being waged in the Christian faith today about churches being on the right side or the wrong side of history. And I, and I read this or I hear this all the time. And my goal for us as a church is that we be with Jesus and what he's doing in history. And if we're with Jesus and what Jesus is doing in history, we'll always be on the right side of it. We'll always be where we need to be. And I'm not saying that's a simple thing to do. It's not. Because we get in direct conflict not only with uh, the amoral and immoral age, but also with other Christians, quite honestly. You see, we love it when a pathway is clear, like it was in the 70s. Nobody's slamming doors in your face. Nobody's saying, you can't pass out tracks at the airport. No, nobody's telling you that you can't run buses all over neighborhoods and pick up kids and bring them to church and feed them. You didn't need a license to, well, maybe to drive the bus, Maybe not, but you didn't need a license like to feed people, you know? You just did it because you, you were able to do it. That's the, the waters in which the church swam in in those days. But now we, we go in direct conflict. And we don't like it then when we have to clear a pathway. Because we know what happens to John the Baptist. We know that he gets thrown in prison. We know that ultimately he gets beheaded because he took the role of moral leadership as central to his task in preparing the way of the Lord. What did he do? He told the king, he told Herod, that it was wrong for him to take his brother's wife. Can you imagine going to the king who had limited authority but never had a lot, nevertheless had a lot of authority and saying what you're doing is wrong. John gets imprisoned, and he loses his head over his stance. We, Stephen read it for us. Daniel takes a stand. He exercises moral leadership when he refuses to defile himself. We heard it last week when Elijah was called a troublemaker by King Ahab, a, a king who was as wicked a man who has ever lived. Jesus Christ was publicly crucified in part because he also exercised moral leadership when he acted with zeal against the systems of power that were oppressing the people. So to repeat my life quote from last week, there are, no sim there, there are simple answers, but there are no easy answers. It is a simple thing to say that we as a church have a voice. It is not easy, however, to imagine that anyone would even be interested in hearing our voice. And then if we started to have a voice that the systems in place wouldn't come crashing down around us to try to scare us into shutting up our voice in an amoral and immoral age. And so we have to remember that one of the themes that, that kind of comes to the surface in prophetic ministry is the spiritual deafness of people. You might recall in Isaiah 6, that famous passage of holy, 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 
Isaiah says what? Here am I, Lord, send me. And everybody gets excited about that because you think you're going to go out there and everybody's going to listen. And God says, no, Isaiah, no one's going to listen. You're going to speak. They're not going to hear. They're not going to respond. And Jesus himself quotes Isaiah in his own public ministry when he says, you know what? What Isaiah said about you is actually true. In hearing, you do not hear. Your ears are deaf. Your eyes are blind. And it's one of the reasons why it is so hard for the church to gather up its courage and do what it needs to do. But we have to remember that spiritual deafness goes hand in hand with moral leadership. People simply don't want to hear the truth. I'm often reminded, and it's not encouraging at all, but it's nevertheless true that a prophet is not without honor and except, to, except in his own hometown. A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. And I think about that a lot. I think about that in 32 years of preaching here for you, many of you, others of you who have come along the way. I battle discouragement every week around this very issue. And I battle it by submitting myself to God's word, which reproves my thinking. Because it would be so easy to drift off into pragmatism. But pragmatism in ministry is very exhausting. Because the consumer rules. We're going to talk about that next week. But then we're tempted to drop, uh, drift over into compromise. But compromising the truth is deadly. It's deadly. It'll, it'll kill people if you compromise the truth. So, so what do we do? We trust that what Jesus said is true. All authority belongs to him in heaven and on earth. And we go forward in his authority. So when we speak truth to power, we do so with the authority of Jesus full well knowing that people probably won't listen, but nevertheless, we have fulfilled our responsibility. We have fulfilled our ministry. But this does raise a question then. What power most likely rules in our church today at present? What power is ruling over our lives today? And I think this same power rules over our communities as well. In my estimation, the power that rules today, both in the church and out of the church, is the power of self-governance, self-autonomy. The power that says, no one is actually going to tell me what to do, including God. God will have to get in line behind me much like israel as described in judges 17 everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes you know why it was that way in judges it's because there was no king in israel we might excuse a kingless israel but we cannot excuse ourselves because the king of kings and the lord of lords is enthroned we have a king I'm just not so sure we're willing to moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, week by week, submit to his rule. Far too many people who identify themselves as Christians simply are not willing to submit to the rule of Jesus 
as he rules over them through the authority of the church. And I want to make this distinction. So when I say that the power that holds most people is self-governance, there are some who think, well, sure, I do what God tells me to do, but you are not seeing yourself in surrender to that authority through the church. Through the church. Which is the body through which Jesus rules and reigns over the world. And so it is in large measure the disregarding of the church. It is the unwillingness to be in, all the way in with the church. That creates in us a lack of moral leadership in the communities in which we live. So the church will struggle to rightly exercise moral leadership among people who want nothing to do with God's authority if we are not first fully surrendered to that same authority, to God's authority within the church. And so when I say, what what should we do? Well, I think it comes back right to us and what I preached about last week, that unless unless we deal with the dull and dead conscience of the church towards the lordship of Jesus, we will have little effect or impact when we talk about issues of injustice or inequity or unrighteousness within our community, let alone within the world. And so I'll say what I said last week. Wake up, O sleeper! Wake up! Let Christ rise up within you. Stop sleeping. That's what we need to do. Wake up. So the final section. What about, here's the question, it'll be up there for you. What about Jesus and the church? So Jesus and the church. The work of Jesus as a prophet, priest, and king continues at present. He has fulfilled each role perfectly. He exercises each office with wisdom, justice, and love. You know, if we desire the priestly work and the kingly work of Jesus to continue, should we not also desire his prophetic ministry in our lives? I don't know about you, but I need a Savior interceding for me every moment of every day. I need that. I need a King who lovingly cares for me and rules over me. But I also need Jesus to speak powerfully in my life through His Word. The voice of Jesus is speaking. We don't seem to be listening. And and, and you might ask, well, how is He speaking? Where has He spoken? Where do we find that? You know what? He wrote seven letters to the church. They're contained in two chapters of the revelation of Jesus, chapters two and three. These seven letters are for us. He's written us a personal letter. The prophet Jesus took up his prophet's pen one last time, and he said, I've got something to say to the church, and to each church, the very thing he says is what? If you have ears... Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. If you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So we have a question for you. It'll be up on the screen. 
Do you have spiritual ears that are hearing? We've been in this room for an hour now. We've got a few more minutes to go. Whether it was the call to worship, whether it was the scripture being read, whether it was the singing, whether it was the prayers, have your spiritual ears been hearing what the Spirit is saying to us today as a church? You know, while I experience a lack of honor in my own hometown, I pray that the divinely seated prophet, who is our priest and king, will not lack any honor in our lives, that we will listen to him. You say, well, well why? Well, you know, while I may be, uh, in a sense, a human prophet that should be listened to, I want to remind you that I am not going to be the one holding you in judgment. I will be standing in line with you at judgment. And the reason we should be listening to what the Spirit says to the church is because the prophet, priest, and king is also judge. My prophetic role of reproving you with God's word is to point you to the way to escape judgment, to show us how we can be restored by the grace of God and forgiveness of sins and being awakened to God's word, that we can and should respond to the moral leadership of Jesus as he tells us right now that he is standing at the door of our hearts. He is knocking. If you hear his voice, open the door. He will come in, he will eat, and we will eat with him. What love, what grace, what mercy that Jesus, our King, would sit us down and as the psalm says, that he would feed us with the finest of wheat and with honey he would satisfy us. Friends, let me remind you that Jesus descended into the particular needs of our own sinfulness and he did it to save us and while I do believe that he is sending us out into the particular needs of the communities around us, I believe that he is first sending us to the needs in this room. How will justice and righteousness and mercy come to the neediest people in this room? How will it happen? How will it come if it doesn't come through us? as our ears are open to the Spirit's work. We can experience continuous spiritual renewal within congregational life that, that will compel us and propel us and move us forward towards one another. We can again learn to be a community of love, a community of mutual love that supports each other as we dare to speak truth to the power of self-autonomy when it rears its ugly head around us. And it says, oh, I don't need to go there. I don't need to be part of that. Thanks for the invitation, but I'm busy. And you're not being drawn into the church central as the community in your life. It has been my prayer that God would help us to receive the life-giving reproof of his word today as it is spoken to us by our king with kingly love. Because in that invitation, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove. 
Those whom I love, I reprove. Every day, every day, Jesus is inviting us into his love so that we may stand with him for the cause of righteousness and justice in a cruel and wicked world. He has told us we are the salt of the earth. He has told us that we are the light of the world. He has told us that we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So may God help our light to shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Father, I thank you uh, for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the grace in preaching it, ministering it. And now I look to your spirit to work in us, to move us in obedience toward it. I pray, O God, as we come to your table this morning, that we would come with our lives fully ready, examined, uh, ready to receive the nurturing power of your table, the grace that is poured out for us. I would encourage you right now to examine your own life, get yourself ready as we come to celebrate the Lord's table together. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.